Let's pray once more. Father, at this time we look at your word. And so I pray that we would understand it, that we would really uh, uh, let it sink in, that, that you change lives, that your gospel is so powerful and it came right from you. And so I, I pray that we'd really, really get whatever you want us to have at this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, grace and peace, friends. My name is Paul the Apostle. I invite you to turn to a little letter that I wrote to the Galatian church. Galatians chapter 1. And we are going to start in verse 11 today. If you're in a blue Bible in, or the Bible in your pew, that's page 823. Verse 11 says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up, nor did I receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I didn't consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see who those, those who were apostles before I was. But I immediately went into Arabia and then later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. You have uh, notes in your bulletins, but there's no blank, so write down whatever you would like as I share. I am excited this morning because I get to talk about my favorite topic in the world. It's my favorite topic to write about, my favorite topic to preach about, and that's the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to rescue us from this present evil age by dying on the cross, giving Himself for our sins. And not only that, but He rose again from the dead. It's my favorite thing to tell people because it changes lives. And I want to tell you, church, that this gospel is not something that I made up. It's not something that I was taught. Nobody sat down with me. The apostles didn't take me aside and say, Paul, this is what you're going to start preaching to people. No, no, no. I received this gospel as a revelation directly from Jesus Christ. Now, I love writing about the gospel. I mentioned that already. Normally, I'm writing in prison. That's a very common place for me to write. When you get locked up. See, I don't go to prison for doing anything bad. All right, kids? Nothing bad here. But... I tend to share the gospel at the wrong times, which is actually the right time, but sometimes it stirs up people. Sometimes riots start. I've been known to do that. Not really my fault, but the gospel's powerful, and sometimes there's a powerful push against it. And so I get locked up. And what do you do when you're locked up? You write. I have plenty of time for writing, let me assure you. In fact, if you were working on a book 
and you had writer's block and you had a hard time getting, getting done with that book, I recommend a short stay in a dungeon somewhere and you'll, you'll have plenty of time to write. I just think about these churches that I've helped start and I, and I hear things from people about how they're doing and I write. I write to the Galatian church, the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church. I'm writing all the time. I'm happy to not be locked up right now to be able to share with you one of my favorite topics. Now, the reason I wrote Galatians, one of the main reasons is because there was a group of people infiltrating the church, these, these false teachers who were trying to say, you can worship Jesus, that's good, but you've got to add the law. You've got to add the law to your faith. You've got to obey the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. If you really want to be part of this, you've got to have law to be saved. And I have a big problem with that. I believe that is changing the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know, even in this day, there are people who want to change the clarity of the message. It was no different in my day. In fact, in my day, we had this group of people called the Sadducees. Maybe you've heard of them. And they would like to say that there is no resurrection of the dead. That nobody gets a new body at the end of the age. This is done. And it's no different today. People change the message of the gospel. My gospel says, and it's not mine, it's the one Jesus handed down to me, is that Jesus Christ died and he actually literally got a new body. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my previous way of life. How did I come to be this person named Paul? I used to be a guy named Saul and I persecuted the Christian church. In fact, I was arrogant enough to believe that I myself could destroy it. I really thought I could, I could, I could accomplish that. Do you guys remember the stoning of Stephen? I do. I, I was there. I didn't have to lift up a rock. I remember Stephen sharing about his faith in the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ, they said. Let me tell you what I think about what I used to think about messiahs. I used to think they were a dime a dozen. You got this guy that showed up on the Jewish landscape and said, "I'm here to free Israel from the oppressors. We're going to throw off the shackles of Rome." And then you know what happened? Every time, I'll tell you what happened. Whoever was oppressing us would kill the Messiah, the false Messiah, and that'd be the end of it. That movement would die when that person came out against the oppressor the Romans, or whoever. Often they were crucified. I've seen it a hundred times before. And so when this Jesus called the Christ was crucified, I thought, here's another one. It's just another story of another false Messiah who gets killed and the movement dies. And the followers say, let's find ourselves a new Messiah. Well, maybe we'll find a relative of our Messiah and we'll make him the new guy. That's usually what happened. Only this was different. The Stephen guy and others like him were like the real deal. I mean, you kill their Messiah and they start some sort of underground movement where they said, our Messiah is resurrected. Resurrected? I mean, I know my theology and I know the Sadducees are wrong. I know there is a resurrection of the dead. But I read the Old Testament, as you call it, the Old Testament. I mean, that's my Bible. I know that thing backwards and forwards. I've memorized large portions of it. I know it. And I know there's, there's passages like Ezekiel 37 where, where you have this, this vision of the valley of dry bones, of the, all these dead bones, and, and, and God resurrects those bones. He gives them flesh and, and then they come to life. I know there will be a resurrection at the end of the age, at the end of history, when Israel is restored. I know it's coming. 
But you're telling me that in the middle of history, in the middle of the age, this guy Jesus Christ got a body before the rest of us? I think not. You're telling me that before my dead relatives get their new body, that this Jesus guy gets his new body? I don't buy it. And yes, later I weighed that and I wrestled with that and I saw the evidence, but at that time, I didn't see it. I just did not see it. Didn't believe it. So Stephen gets up there proclaiming Jesus. He starts out with giving like an oral history of, of Israel, going over all of our past. I can agree with most of it. <clears throat> then he gets to Jesus, and people are furious. I was furious. And then he says something even more infuriating. He said, I remember it, I see heaven opened, and I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. And I thought, this guy doesn't just believe in Jesus. This guy is a clear and outright blasphemer. And I know the book of Leviticus. And I know what we do to blasphemers. We take them out and we stone them. So we drug Stephen out. And we started throwing rocks. I didn't even have to lift a finger. The, the people set their cloaks at my feet, their garments, while they did the dirty, dusty, sweaty work of killing Stephen. And I approved of it. I was sure of it. I knew Leviticus. I know the verse that says, take the blasphemer out. I was so sure of myself. Maybe now is a good time to tell you why I know so much about the law. You see, I was a Pharisee. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I love the law. One of the things you know about Pharisees is they love the law. And they are adamant about keeping the law. I would trim my beard correctly as it says in the Law of Moses. I would not touch or eat anything unclean. If I see you in pizza with a sausage pizza, I'm coming after you. It's not good. You don't do that. I was so sure. I was sure that that the Sabbath day is a holy day. You're to do no work on it, as the Ten Commandments tell us. And I would make sure you didn't work on it. If you tried to help your neighbor, I'd be the one telling you, don't help your neighbor, that's work. If you had to travel somewhere to see a relative, I'd say, you don't travel on the Sabbath because that's work. Or, go ahead, travel on the Sabbath. I'll show up on your doorstep the next day with stones in my hand. That, that's who I was. I was sure and I was adamant that we were going to keep the law. I was zealous. I was passionate. And I was a fool because I had this innocent man drug out into the street and killed. And I'll never forget Stephen's last words. He asked God not to hold this sin against us. Last thing he said. And at that time I thought, this is no sin that we're doing. This is righteousness. The stones that you feel right now is the righteous wrath of God. I was clueless, but I was sure that I was right and how wrong I really was. Let me tell you about how I realized I was wrong. I was going on the road to Damascus on the way to do what I do best, persecute, kill, imprison Christians, And I saw this incredibly, literally, blinding light. 
and I fell down. And as I fell down, I heard this voice that said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and I asked who the voice was. Who is this? And it said, this is Jesus who you're persecuting. And I thought, I didn't hang Jesus on the cross. I'm just killing the, the followers. I'm just persecuting the followers. But he was associating himself with his people that I was trying to destroy. And, and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anything. And, and, then, and then the voice told me I'm supposed to go. Jesus told me I'm supposed to go into this town and I'm supposed to meet Ananias, this Christian guy, and that's when my sight was restored. I only wish I could have seen Ananias when, when he first saw me. You know, like the guy who locks up Christians. Ananias sees me coming into town, you know. I, I imagine the look on his face was priceless. <laughs> this guy, me, who, who likes, to, likes to hurt his friends. But he accepted me. My sight was restored. And I was changed. Literally, I had seen the light. Jesus appeared. Jesus spoke to me. Jesus pulled me out of my, my law-keeping zealousness and, and put me on this path to serving Him and loving Him and knowing what this is really all about. So I want to encourage you now. I want to encourage you now. The Gospel is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Personally, from Him to me. He revealed it. And because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, it has the power to change the strongest convictions, and the most stubborn sinners. Do you hear me? If it can change me, as sure as I was, as a law-abiding, Torah-observing Jew, if it can change a Hebrew of Hebrews into being a crazy Christ follower who's going out there starting churches and loving people, not persecuting them, if it can change me, it can change anybody because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. If I made this up, it would not change anybody. But I know, and you know stories, of people who have seen this same light, not on the road like me, but they've been changed. So your unfriendly neighbors who never seem to want to talk to you, the gospel can change them. Your boss who's immoral and makes all those dirty jokes at work, the gospel can change that person. Your relatives who never seem to get over the bitterness and the unforgiveness in their hearts, they can experience the gospel and it can change them. It can change anybody. And I don't care how strong their convictions are. I don't care how strong the sin is in their life. Students, you can tell it to the druggies in your school. The gospel can change them. The gospel can change them. I spoke once to a, a man who was heavily addicted to drugs. At the same time, he was reading Revelation. Think about that. Think about that. And he came to Christ. He gave his life to him. Amazing, amazing. If the gospel can change me as sure as I was, it can change anybody you know. It can break through the hardness of sin and bitterness. It can break through the atheist's convictions. And it can change them. Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. If I made this up, it'd have no power. It would have no power. So that's how I was converted. I'd like to tell you how I came to this realization. I came to this realization that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. 
In fact, the way I worded it in my letter was, it was like Jesus was revealed not only on the road to Damascus, not only in the light, Jesus was revealed inside of me. It was this internal revelation that Jesus is who he said he is. He was revealed in me and also outside while I was on the road. And it was amazing. I think of it kind of like, uh, if you ever read Mark's Gospel, if you ever read Mark's Gospel, he starts out the Gospel like this. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He starts out by saying, Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. And then, and then Mark, my friend Mark, just kind of drops the whole Son of God thing for most of his Gospel. He doesn't refer to it the way Matthew and Luke do. Matthew and Luke like to, like to spend time in their Gospels talking about Jesus being the Son of God. Mark doesn't do that so much. You've got a couple demons who call on the Son of God, but you can't really trust them. And then you come to the end of Mark's Gospel, the very end, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And at the very end of Mark's Gospel, you have the centurion standing by the cross And this is Mark's big reveal. And the centurion says, Surely this is the Son of God. And it's like Mark was saving it for just that moment. He's like, I'm not going to give it to you throughout my gospel. I'm waiting for the end. Because when I want you to think about who Jesus is, when I want you to think about the Son of God, I want you to think the Son of God is the one who died for you. What is the job description of being the Son of God? The job description is, I will die for the sins of the world. The cross is something that I regarded as weakness. I regarded it as the criminal. I regarded it as the lowest scum of the earth, below a slave. The worst person in our society is the person hanging on the cross. There's nobody lower. You can't get worse than that. And yet I saw now that this is what the Son of God does. He lowers himself below a slave. He lowers himself to the scum of the earth, the criminal who's hanging there, cursed on a cross for your sin and my sin. And if that wasn't true, I don't know how I would have dealt with the death of Stephen and others on my conscience. If I didn't know the power of that death, I couldn't go forward and preach this message. Because I am the chief of sinners, as I've said before. And so I realized Jesus' identity and I gave myself fully to that. Obviously, I had a lot of things to think about. A lot. And I know these false teachers in the Galatian church like to talk about how I'm kind of a (laughs) sub-apostle. I'm not the real deal. But that's not true. In fact, I didn't even visit with the apostles right away. You know what I did after I met with Christ? I went into Arabia by myself. I'm not even quite sure why I chose Arabia. Maybe it had something to do with one of my favorite childhood heroes, Elijah. Remember Elijah, the prophet? Remember how Elijah the prophet goes up to Mount Carmel and confronts the multitude of false prophets of Baal. Remember that story? And, and he says, and he says, let's see who the true God is, Baal or Yahweh. We'll see. And, and here's what we're going to do. 
You're going to try to call fire down on your sacrifice. I'll try to call fire down on my sacrifice from Yahweh. And we'll see who's got answers. And then we'll know that the Lord is God. And they took me up on the challenge. They danced. They cut themselves. And Elijah was there. And, and, and he saw this happening. And Elijah says, let's do this. Baal's not really doing anything right now. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know. But he's out. So let's do this. How about you soak my altar? You soak the altar to Yahweh. And so they did. And then Elijah prayed and fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. And there was a great victory for Yahweh that day. And so after that, Queen Jezebel hears about this. Here's about this great victory. And she says, I want Elijah dead today. I'm sending my armies and he will die. And so Elijah takes off and runs away. Do you know where he runs? Arabia. Arabia. And he's, he's depressed. He's searching his heart. He's tired. He's hungry. Because yes, there was a great victory, But now the adrenaline's gone. (laughs) Now he's at a low. Now people are coming to take his life. And in that low, depressing moment, God appears to him. And and, and it's, it's it's in a still, small voice. Remember that? Remember that? The still, small voice that gives Elijah strength to keep going on. And so maybe... Maybe I was just remembering that and rehearsing that story in my mind, but I went into Arabia to sort things out in my head. I mean, I had done a lot of things. I had a lot to think about. But I didn't go running to the apostles. I now was an apostle. And so I spent time alone with my Lord Jesus Christ, who I just realized was my Lord Jesus Christ. And I spent time with Him. And I sorted out my theology, sorted out everything I thought I knew, And suddenly I was seeing Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. (laughs) Sign of Jonah. Jonah's in the whale three days, right? Three nights. And so Jesus was buried. He's in the tomb three days, three nights, and then he rose from the dead. Suddenly I was seeing resurrection prophecies in the Old Testament. Suddenly I was seeing Jesus show up, and I sorted all that through in my mind. And Christ was revealed in me, as I've said before. Let me tell you this. The gospel is a revelation from Jesus Christ. And because it's a revelation directly from God, you have to internalize it. You can't just attend a church and suddenly you're in. That's not how it works. I wrote it, Christ was revealed in me. Christ has to be revealed in you. It's a personal thing. It's something God is doing inside of you And coming to the church doesn't do it. And being a good person definitely doesn't do it. It's something that you stake your life on. It's something you put your faith in. It's an internal reality that influences everything in your life. And I believe that God also uses physical circumstances to bring you to that internal reality. For me, it was a light on the road on the way to persecuting Christians and God just hit me with this thing. And He'll do the same for you. He uses those health issues to bring you to Christ. He uses your sin that you feel like is unforgivable and the guilt that you've carried for far too long and that will lead you to the feet of Jesus. 
He'll use that person in your life that's driving you crazy and you've got to figure out, how am I going to handle this? I need help. He'll use, he'll use your wealth. He'll use your riches. Because at the end of the day, you will find out there is no peace from money. So now what do you have? And money certainly can't buy you into heaven. So he will use anything and everything from your life to push his revelation into your heart. He doesn't violate your will. You still have a choice. My choice was, am I going to follow this person who's spoken to me and call me or not? And I did. And I said yes. And he revealed his son in me. So we don't force anybody. I don't argue people into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. If you're having an argument with somebody, if it's you versus the atheist, and, and you're going back and forth, and your argument turns out better, and the atheist says, okay, you know, you, obviously, I didn't argue, obviously, you're, I guess you're a better argument than I am, you know. More than likely, that person is not, will not accept Christ. The person's going to go home, hop in the shower for a while, and say, oh, I forgot to say that, though, and I forgot this argument, you know. They're going to come up with something. I get there's a place for logic, but somewhere deep down, people have to say, this is for me. This makes sense, but this is real, and it's for me. And then Christ will be revealed in that person. The gospel's powerful. It breaks through anything and everything. So finally, I did go to Jerusalem. I know there's people out there that say I'm the sub-apostle. I'm not. But I did go to Jerusalem. I stayed with Peter 15 days. I saw one other apostle. That was about it. And it's not that the churches even, they didn't even meet me. The churches in Judea hadn't even had me like appear and, and teach. I'm not lying to you. I, this is a true story. All the churches heard was that that guy, Saul, the Pharisee, is now Paul, the apostle. And those churches praised God because of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your revelation. We're so grateful for the stories that I am sure are represented here of people who you broke through the tough and stubborn exterior of their hearts. It's not that you force yourself on us and force your will on us, but you break through the hardest places to allow yourself into our hearts to give us a chance to respond. And we're so grateful that the gospel is that powerful. Help us trust you in that. Help us speak the gospel to people that we know. Help us be quick to talk about you. Because we know that what you're doing is adding to the family. You're adding more people to the kingdom of God. You're adding terrible sinners. You're adding stubborn and obstinate people who thought they would never, ever accept this message. And you laugh, Lord Jesus, and say, I can't wait for them to experience this gospel. And so I pray for Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church that we would add many to our number that would accept your salvation. 
We pray this, Lord, that you would do this, that you would add to our harvest children in the fun club, adults who are our friends and neighbors and family. Add to our number, Lord Jesus. May people accept the fact that the gospel is a revelation of your Son. We pray all this in your name. Amen.